We are going to get started here today. We're going to talk today about reactionary grace. And before I do that, let me just remind you, with the baptism, it is at Sandbridge, not the oceanfront. It's Sandbridge Shelter Number 4. All right, Shelter Number 4, come on out for that. I want to speak today about reactionary grace, and I want to say this. God's grace always gets some kind of reaction. God's grace always gets a reaction. I want to read a, a fairly long portion of Scripture, but I want you to follow along with me on the screens here. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. And he, meaning Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight of the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And whatever you heard was done at Capernaum, do it here in your hometown as well. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up, and they drove him out of town, and they brought him to the top of the hill on which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Here's the story. Jesus Christ has come back to his hometown, 
the city of Nazareth. He has come to the community center, the synagogue, where all the Jewish people gathered. It was a gathering spot. It was a place of worship, but it was a gathering spot. It was the community rec center, if you will, and they all gathered around there. In those times, when a guest rabbi came to town, he was given a chance to speak. And when he came to speak, the attendant took one of the scrolls, because people didn't have their own Bibles at that time, took one of the scrolls, Jesus opened the scroll, came to the place in Isaiah that he wanted to read, and he read that beautiful passage of Scripture, the freedom text in the synagogue. And look what happens. Number one, I want you to write this in your notes. God's grace is electrifying. God's grace is electrifying. It gives us a reaction. Look at verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Listen, there was no animosity there. There was no anger there. This was no insult. They were saying, wow, listen to how well he speaks. This is the carpenter's boy. This is Joseph's boy. Look at what he's saying. And they were amazed at his gracious words. This wasn't sarcasm. They were saying, wow, look at how he talks. A carpenter's boy speaking like this. And look at what he's saying. I want you to see this. Here's what he said. He said, hang with me, I want you to catch this. You've got to hang with me for a few moments today before we get to where we're going. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight of the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Why was the message electrifying? Why did they receive the message at first? Because he said, I'm here to set the poor free. I'm here to set the captive free. I'm here to open the blinded eyes. I'm here to give liberty to those who are oppressed. And here's why they like this message, because the Israelites, these Jewish people thought, I'm the poor, he's here for me. I'm the captive, he's here for me. I'm the oppressed, he's here for me. Oh yes, God is going to set me free. Oh yes, God is going to open my eyes. Yes, God is for me. After all, I'm a Jew. I'm an Israelite. I'm a religious follower. God's on my side. Oh, God hasn't forgotten us. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for reminding us that God hasn't forgot poor Israel. This is great. This is God's grace. This is amazing. Good sermon preacher. Preach it, Jesus. God is for me. Way to go, Jesus. The good news is for me. Way to go. God's on my side. Jesus is on my side. Amazing. And don't we love it when we hear that message, that God is for us, that God loves us, that God wants to bless us, that God has come for us, that God will not forsake us, and we all say, yes. He, I was blind and now I see. And as Christians we say, I was bound and he set me free. I was lost and he's found me. I was dead and he made me alive. And it's electrifying to know that I used to be a sinner. Now I'm saved by grace. Yes, God is for me. It's wonderful. Preach it, Jesus. And they loved his message. But you know what? Jesus always packs a punch, doesn't he? 
He, he always has this way of, of taking and telling a story and, and turning it on its head. And we're left scratching our heads in shock. And he says, yes, God's Spirit's upon me to proclaim the good news. God's Spirit upon me to set captives free. Thank you, God, that you've come to set captives free. Thank you that because of Jesus Christ, I am not stuck in my traditions and in my brokenness and in my addictions and in my pain and in my past. Thank you, God, that you sent a Savior that alleviates me and removes me from my past, that my past does not have to determine my future. Beautiful. But here comes the punch. Number two. God's grace is also offensive. Can you say yes to that? When God's grace is pointed to me, oh, it's electrifying. But when God's grace is given to my enemy, oh boy, it's offensive. When God saves me, thank you, Jesus. When he saves your in-laws, oh, help me, Jesus. When God blesses you, it's wonderful. But when God blesses your former son-in-law, how dare you do that, God? Am I preaching today? Or am I meddling? Which am I doing right now? So Jesus tells this great story, how God comes to deliver, how God comes to set free. And he says, I've come to set free. Look at verse 23. They're all happy with him. They're all loving him. They're all smiling at him. Oh, we love you, Pastor Roger. We love you, Pastor Jesus. Verse 23. And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do it here in our hometown as well. What does the proverb, physician, heal yourself, mean? It goes back into Jewish tradition, and here's what it means. It means keep it in our house. Keep the blessing in our family. Keep it in the circle. Keep it in the four walls. Only do good to those who are inside. Only do good to those who are part of the circle. Only bless those who are part of the family. Jesus, only do the miracles to other Jewish people. Jesus, only do it to those who are of your household. Keep it here. Keep it close. Keep it inside. Physician, Heal yourself. Keep it in the family. Don't let it outside the circle. Keep it in our clique. Let us enjoy the blessings. Let us hoard the blessing. Let us keep the goodness to ourselves and let's become overly indulgent upon it and let's overdose upon your grace and let's celebrate the goodness to us how he saved me how he blessed me how he's good to me and it's about me keep it in the house jesus the spirit of the lord's upon me to open blind eyes to set the captive free to proclaim liberty to the oppressed 
that's awesome, Jesus. This is great. This is Joseph, boy. Awesome. Oh, that's not the end of it. You will tell me to keep it in the house. You'll tell me not to spread it far and wide. You will tell me only speak this to the Jewish Israel. You'll speak to me to keep it inside the family. But here comes the uppercut. In verse 25, Jesus says, But I tell you the truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And he says, isn't it amazing that God's prophet did not go to a single Jewish widow? but he went to a Gentile woman, a Gentile widow. He left the inner circle. He left the family. He left the clique. He left the circle. He left the ones that he should have blessed, and he went to the ones that were the outcast and the rejected and the hated and those that they were prejudiced against. Oh, and he goes, let me tell you something else. Verse 27, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and he went to none of them but cleansed only Naaman the Syrian. Wow. I have come to bring freedom to the captives. I have come to open-blinded eyes. I have come to set the oppressed free. I have come to proclaim this is the year of God's blessing and God's favor upon you. Oh, that's great, Jesus. Great preaching. Keep it here. Keep it here. Don't let it go out there. Keep it here. Let's keep it to ourselves. Let's keep the blessing here. Oh, no. Remember? Elijah only went to one widow woman, and Elisha only healed one leper, and who was he? He was a Gentile outside of the community. Not only was he a Gentile, he was a dirty leper who was unclean and deserving of death in their minds outside. And not only was he a Gentile and a leper, but he was an enemy combatant. He was an enemy general who fought against Israel. And whom did God heal? He healed a Gentile. Whom did God show up and cleanse? An enemy general. Oh, Jesus, keep it in the house. Only bless Israel. Only bless us. Only bless me. Only do good to those inside the clique. Keep it in the family. Physician, heal your own family. Keep it here. Oh, no. Jesus says, I'm not having that. I am no tribal deity. I am no nationalistic God. 
I don't serve just one social group or one race or one people. I'm a God that the heavens cannot contain. I'm a God that the world cannot handle. I am not tameable. And he says, I have always broke out of this social construct. I always break out of this racial divide, and I reach over into the nations. Go back and read your Bible. We talk about Israel being a chosen people. What were they chosen for? They were chosen to be a missionary nation to bring the other nations to God. That's it. Oh, they're God's chosen people. They were God's chosen people to bring people to God. Here's what happened. Verse 28. And when they heard these things, all of the people in the community center were filled with wrath. God's grace is electrifying. It's inspiring when it touches my life. But when God's grace touches my enemy, it is offensive. Let me say it, write it down. Write it down and hear it clear. Exalt Church is big enough for you and your sin, and Exalt Church is big enough for the sin of your enemy. The grace of God that comes to your life we will proclaim to every single person that walks through that door. There will be no wall. Why was Israel mad? Religious people always get angry when God shows up and loves all the wrong kinds of people. And God has a way of showing up and loving all the wrong kinds of people. He showed up into my life, the child of a blue-collar worker, that there wasn't any Jesus in our home, and Jesus comes into my life and saves me and says, I'm going to make him a preacher. But let's be fair here for just a moment. Why were the people so mad when Jesus said, you will not contain the gospel to just the Jews. You will not contain the gospel just to my four and no more. Why did they become so angry when he said, I, you will not, I will not keep it in the house, but I will break out of this social construct and I will spread the message to the nations. Why were they so mad? Well, when God chose Israel to be a missionary nation, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great, and through you, all the nations will be blessed. And then he tells Israel in Exodus, I'm going to make you a royal priesthood. What does a priest do? A priest represents the people to God and God to the people. And he says, Israel, I'm going to make you a priestly nation. And your role and your purpose is to bring people to God and God to the people. That's the role of a Christian. We're to bring God to the people and the people to God. That's why Jesus came. He came to bring God to the people and the people to God. Jesus fulfilled what Israel fulfilled, failed to do. Let me say it again because I get excited and I talk very fast at this moment. Let me rewind and say it again. Jesus fulfilled what Israel failed to do, to bring people to the Father and to bring the Father 
to the people. Jesus lived the perfect life that the nation of Israel could not do. They're going, Pastor, what does this have to do with Sunday and why you're getting so deep? Because if you get this, it will change your life and how you view God, how you view yourself, and how you view those around you. You'll stop seeing people as enemies. You'll stop seeing people as labels, and you'll see them as people who need a Savior. Amen. So here is why Israel hated the Gentiles so much. I can understand why. I can identify why. Because in Israel's history, for the very short period of time, for the very short period of time, they were dominated by others. They were dominated by the Assyrians. After the Assyrians, the Babylonians came and dominated them. And then the Persians. And then the Greeks. And here you are trying to witness to the Gentiles, and they are conquering you, and they're taking you into captivity, and they're burning down your city, and they're burning down your temple, and they're taking your daughters off into captivity, and taking your best kids off into captivity, and you get to the point that you start hating the enemy because they're your captors. And you stop seeing them as people, and you start seeing them as enemies who are just out to get you. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, and the Greeks. And then there's this brief moment in their history that for 100 years, they rule themselves. And the Maccabeans, and they, they, they rule themselves, and they're self-governed, and they have this utopian society, and it feels good. Finally, we're a nation again. Finally, we're free again. And after 100 years, this massive army from Rome comes, and Rome conquers them. And now they're enslaved yet again by another Gentile nation. And when the Messiah shows up in Jesus, every religious Jewish person is waiting for him to be a rescuer, to be a savior, not to save them from their sins, but to be this militaristic uh, general who overthrows the Roman power and establishes a utopian Israelic state. And instead, Jesus comes and says, I refuse to get into your politics. I refuse to be contained by my nationality. I haven't come to throw off the Romans. I haven't come to overthrow them and make you a nation again. I have come for one purpose, and that's to bring the good news of the gospel to the world. And he says, you want me to overthrow Rome. But I'm telling you, Elijah went to the Gentiles. You want me to overthrow Rome. I'm telling you that Elisha went to the foreign nation and healed them and blessed them. God healed enemies. God rescued sinners. Let me just take about it for a moment. Look at the Apostle Paul. Do you know what he was doing when God saved him? 
He was arresting Christians and putting them into jail. He was going to kill them. And God reaches in and says, this murderer, I'm going to make a missionary. And here's the point. When you get a chance, go back and read Isaiah 61. Because Jesus reads this entire passage, but he leaves out this one verse. He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But he leaves out, and the day of vengeance of our God. Why did he leave out the day of vengeance of our God? Because his audience was waiting, and they were listening. This is the Messiah. He'll bring favor to us. And he will bring vengeance to our enemies. And Jesus said, the day of my vengeance is still yet to come. This is an era of grace. You have falsely assumed that I am going to bring about some religious exodus exile and bring you out of the Roman captivity. Instead, I'm going to step into history and step into time and I'm going to use the Roman roads, and I'm going to use the Roman constructs to spread my gospel rapidly throughout the known world. We often desire grace for ourselves. We often desire wrath for our enemy. We're like David. When we sin, we pray, oh God, it's just my personality. It's just the way I was raised. It's my idiosyncrasy. But everyone else, man, they're messed up. They are broken beyond repair. I'm okay with a battery not included. But they're broken. And we pray, God bless me and God forgive me and God overlook me and God be gracious to me. But God, you better get them. Who do I go there? I'm take my glasses off so I can't see you. <laughs> Here's the reality. We're often the most critical of people that have the sin that we have. The former drug addict will have no grace for the former drug addict oftentimes because they have forgot it was the grace of God that set them free. And the further we get away from our salvation experience, the more pharisaical and religious and pride-filled we become because we think we've got it together because I don't do that anymore and I'm far away. The church is for you. Jesus is for you. And Jesus is for your enemy. We love you, Pastor. One of these days, we'll take the offering up before I preach. It may be better when I preach something like this. Good Lord. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Jesus came and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to set the captives free. Yes, he's come to set me free. Oh, I came to set your enemy free. What? Listen, 
and wrath for our enemies. We want God to have mercy on us, and we want God to get our enemies. Because we see ourselves as in the right, deserving of it, deserving of mercy, deserving of favor, deserving of grace. It's electrifying, but we view our enemies as deserving his anger. Why was Israel angry? Answer, say it again. Israel's God was rescuing all the wrong kinds of people. Finally, number three, I want to give you something positive to take home with you on this holiday weekend. Number three, God's grace is empowering. Can you say yes to that? Look at Isaiah 61 and verse 4. I'm going to read it really quickly here. And watch the pronouns change. It says, go back to verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up broken hearts. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Next slide. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Keep going. Next slide. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall, go back, they shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And we missed a verse in there, but I, I want to point this out to you. It went from me to they. It went from me personalized to they. The Spirit of the Lord's upon me. He's anointed me. And now he comes and he sets the poor free. Why? So that they can become creative restorers. The reach of God's grace is to you and through you to the world. You are a conduit. You are a water hose that is connected to the spigot, and God's grace flows out of that spigot into the hose, but it's not contained by you. It flows through you and out to the grass or out to the cows or wherever it's going. You are a conduit. The reach of God's grace is to you and through you to the world. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But then he turns to the church and he says, but God is going to use you, plural, they. They will build up the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former de devastations. They will repair ruined cities. God is going to empower you by his grace to be a blessing, to build what's broken, to raise up what's leveled, to heal what's hurting, to bless what's cursed. God's grace is going to flow from him to you, through you to the world. We don't need to go to the mission field. You are on the mission field. Am I against short-term trips? Absolutely not. I know we have hope. It's going on a mission trip very soon. We're excited about that, and we're all for it. But I think if we're not careful, we always think that the mission field is out there 
and the mission field is in your world right now. We don't go and do missions. Our life is a mission. Where we live, where we work, our families, none of that is happenstance. Your neighbors are your neighbors because God wanted you to impact your neighbors. Your co-worker is your co-worker because God had a plan to put you there to know the co-worker. God has put you in this place or that place, not by luck or happenstance, but because he wants to empower you to be a conduit of his grace and his love. Don't keep it here. Don't keep it electrifying. Don't keep it in the circle. Don't keep it in the family. Don't keep it hidden. This little light of mine, I'm going to hide it under a bushel. No! I'm going to let it shine. Can someone say yes to that? In your outline, go home and read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 on your own. I want to leave you with two verses that are not in your outline, and it won't be on the screen here. But I want you to catch this. God's grace is reactionary. It makes a reaction. When it touches my heart, I am moved, and I am electrified, and I am humbled because he saved a wretch like me. Wow! And then when he touches some people, I'm offended. How could you use them? When I was a young traveling preacher at 17, 18 years old, I was saved at age 8, began to preach at age 9, and I'd go preach all across the country at 17, 18 years old, zigzagging all across the nation, 30, over 20, over 20, maybe 30 denominations, all across the country. And uh, I would hear stories about other teenage evangelists talking about how they were addicted to drugs and God set them free, or how they were ex-cons and ex-murderers, and I thought, man, do they have the testimony. I wish I, wish I had their testimony so I could get up and, and share what I had to share. And here's the point. God can use anyone's story. You may think your story was boring. You may think your story was calm. You may think your story is average. When God touches it, look at what he does with it. You may be a bean counter, but when God sees you counting those beans in that accounting office, wow, he uses it. Amen. And here's what I want you to leave with. It's not in your notes. But Jesus made this statement. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light. I'm it. Jesus is the light. I am the light of the world. In a darkened, shadowy place, I am light and I light it up. I am the light. I am the hope. I am the answer. I am the savior. I am the rescuer. I am the light. Everything else is shadow and dark. I am the light. But look at what he says to you. He says to you, you are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. But here's what I want you to see. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I am the light of the world. I deputize you. You are, notice, it's not plural, lights, individual lights. He says, you all, the church, the Christ followers, the believers, you are the light of the world. As I am, so are you. As I lived, so will you. As I did, so will you. You'll bind up broken hearts. You'll mend the brokenhearted. You'll set the captives free. You'll open blind of the eyes to the grace of Jesus Christ. And God will use you even to heal people miraculously. I believe that. God will use you for his glory. God will use you for his purpose. And he says, a city on a hill can't be hid. First time I ever went to Chicago, I was about 14 years old. It was the major city, the biggest major city I've ever been to in my life. And leaving a little small town in Kansas, going through the pastures and the prairies, and hitting I-55 outside of Chicago. I'll never forget being a teenager in the back of that car, looking up and seeing this, this glow miles and miles away and asking Pat, Pat, what is that? That is the city lights of Chicago. Isn't it amazing? How far are we? We're still far away, but it lights up the sky. Yes, it's the city lights. It's Chicago. It, there it is. And that's you. When Jesus has changed your life, we can't be the folks that say, let's keep it in the family. Let's keep it close. Let's keep it to exalt. Let's keep it to my floor and no more. Let's keep it here. Let's keep it secret. Let's keep it hidden. Let's light a candle. Let's put it under the bed. You'll burn the house down. Because that fire is meant to burn, and that fire is meant to spread, and that fire is meant to glow, and that fire is meant for something more than lighting up underneath your bed. You're the light of the world. Shine. You're the light of the world. Glow. You're the light of the world. Don't hide it. How do you not hide it? It might be a touch. It might be a smile. It might be a kind word. It might be a prayer. It might be helping someone move. It might be a listening ear. It might be, let me tell you how Jesus Christ changed my life. Shine. Shine. But Roger, there's been times in my life I haven't shown 
What about the times I missed it? Listen. Allow God's grace to cover you. And right now, where you are now, stop looking in, stop looking back, and allow the grace of God that's changed your life to empower you to change someone else's life. And guess what's going to happen? The person that was once your enemy is going to find Jesus, and they're going to become your friend. I've got to close this down. I, I promise I am. Laura, give me the look here. Stand with me. I'm going to close it down. This will make me close it down. I was preaching in a church in Oklahoma. The place shall remain nameless. I can still see the family. Mom, dad, dad, mom. Kids, 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 kids. His kids, her kids, her kids, his kids, their kids. Kids, kids. And I noticed that one of these kids didn't call him dad. She called him dad. And one of these kids didn't call her mom. She called her mom. Two couples went through a horrific divorce, met Jesus Christ, now sitting on the same pew together, remarried with his kids, her kids, their kids, worshiping in the same church. Mind blown. What did that? Nothing but the grace of God. Pastor, I'm not there yet. God, by your grace, flow through me. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that Exalt Church would never be one of those my four and no more places where we try to contain you. Lord, give us a heart for those that others don't like or love. Give us a heart for those who even, Lord, in the past, we would have prayed that you got them. Lord, bring us this to this church, the people that nobody else wants. Bring this church, the people that other churches would throw out. Bring to this place, Lord, those people who need a Savior. And Lord, may your miraculous grace that's transformed our lives and is transforming our lives, may it transform their lives. And Lord, drive religiosity from us. Drive pride from us. We stand here and we pray for every other church in this community. We pray for Wave and we pray for Norfolk Baptist around the corner. And we pray for Church of Hampton Roads and we pray for Bridge Church. And we pray for Church Chesapeake Church community over here. We pray for every single church in this area, the ones I know. We pray for them, Lord. We ask you to bless them abundantly. God, bless them more than us, Lord. Protect them and guard them and raise them up. Bring people to meet you there, Lord. Increase their influence, Lord, and bless them, we pray. And Lord, here we are. We're yours too. Do with us what you want, Lord. We don't compete with anyone, Lord, but we want to love all people with your grace and your gospel and change their lives, set them free, and don't leave anyone 
who comes in this place stuck in their addiction or stuck in their sin or stuck in their selfishness, but may they come to know you as Savior and make them conduits now of your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen and amen.